Welcome to The Chapel Online. At The Chapel, we're about helping people meet, know, and follow Jesus on the campus, in the city, and around the world. Thank you, Dave and Tori. I'll be talking a little bit more about the Chapel Bible Reading Plan, but really would love for you guys to join us as we spend the next 17 weeks going through the book of Psalms, and I'm really, really looking forward to it. So again, if we haven't met, my name is Steve. I'm on staff here as the sending director and just so grateful to be able to be with you. Uh, Kevin is taking a couple weeks uh, with his son who's graduating high school. They've been planning this trip for about, uh, I think, two years since before the pandemic started, and they're finally able to go. So we'd love to ask that you would pray for Kevin on this trip. Uh, he is leaving filled up with all the amazing things that God has done, but my guess is also a little winded because there's been a lot of things uh, happening around here. So pray for him that he's able to rest and um, enjoy some good time with, uh, with, with his family. Um, but we are going to continue, or we're going to start this series in the, book of, uh, in the book of Psalms. And this comes out of a lot of really exciting things at the chapel. Right, we got to celebrate Easter together. We got to celebrate the chapel's 50th anniversary, which if you missed any part of that, there's pictures and video online. It was so fun to be able to celebrate all that God has done and look forward to the future. Uh, we had a great Mother's Day last week and just a lot of really exciting things here at our church. But we'd be remiss if we take that to think that everything going on around us is, is really great right now. There's a lot of people suffering. And many of you probably bring in some, some pain and some, some fear, some anxiety, some uncertainty into everything going on around us. The economy seems like it's a little crazy right now. Gas prices and inflation, we're still kind of trying to come out of a pandemic fully. We have hurt people and refugees all over the world that are suffering. We have war and conflict in Europe and all around us there is uncertainty. A lot of people are suffering. A lot of people are hurting. And that is why we wanted to spend the summer in the Psalms. In the Psalms, we get a beautiful model and instruction on how to pray and how to praise in the midst of everything going on around us. We're going to be able to see examples of people that come to God in some pretty extreme circumstances. Because with everything going on around us, if we don't have the tools to be able to seek God in the good and the bad and praise him and worship him no matter what is going on around us, then we don't have the tools that we need to continue to follow him in a world that is constantly, uh, constantly uncertain. And we talk about prayer. Um, my guess is some of the, us in this room sometimes struggle to pray. Or maybe that's just me. That five seconds into prayer, sometimes I'm thinking about something else that's coming and don't even remember what I was doing. Or maybe you, you, maybe you just find prayer boring sometimes. You wouldn't say that in church, of course, but maybe you just find yourself struggling to see the point. Or maybe you're insecure in some of your prayers because you think you can't bring your true self to God. You have to be holy and spiritual. Or maybe you've heard people pray that seem to really like praying out loud and you're like, I don't know all those big spiritual words, so I don't know if I can approach God like they can. Or maybe you just wonder, 
is there even a point? Maybe you've been waiting for God to answer prayers for a long time and you find yourself wondering, is it even worth my time to pray? The Psalms are a beautiful book that give us a model that can counteract all of those fears and insecurities and even boredom when it comes to prayer. But we need to take ourselves often out of the middle because left to ourselves, prayer becomes about me. Pastor and author Eugene Peterson wrote this. He said, left to ourselves, we will pray to some God who speaks what we like hearing or to the part of God we manage to understand. But what is critical is that we speak to the God who speaks to us and to everything that he speaks to us. What is essential in prayer is not that we learn to express ourselves, but that we learn to answer God. You see, if we were left to ourselves without a model, without instruction, we would find ourselves coming to God for the things that we want, like a cosmic vending machine, trying to get the things that make me feel good or that might make my life better. We'd pray for the world around us to become such a, you know, to become something that is comfortable to live in. And, but God has given us the model to approach God in hard and good times or what's going on around us. So in light of that, allow me to pray because I feel completely inadequate to be somebody who is talking about uh, prayer. So allow me to ask that God would be the one to come and speak to us. Father, would you come? We invite you to come. Would your word speak to us because this time that we're spending together is completely pointless if you don't show up and speak. It's not my words that we want to hear, God. We want to be changed and transformed by the word of God. So I invite you to come and speak. If there's anything I've planned to say that's not of you, take it out of my mind. And if there's anything you want to say that I've not thought of, would you come and speak among us? Because we know that when you speak, we can be changed. So would you remove the distractions? Would you remove the preconceived notions that we bring in? And would you come in power and speak to us through your word? In Jesus' name, amen. Now, there are lots of things that the Psalms can do for us that we will encounter over these 17 weeks. But by way of introduction, I want to highlight three, three things that the Psalms will do for us. And the first is that the Psalms teach us about God and the history of salvation. The Psalms all throughout, what we're gonna see is people that are encountering God in the midst of actual things that are going on. They're going to be crying out in either good or bad situations about historical events. They're going to be remembering the things that God has done, looking forward to the things that he will do. So we get a unique and personal look into the salvific history of God and his people. Uh, So if you haven't read the whole Bible, it's going to give you a really kind of cool look into all that God has done and will do. The second thing the Psalms will do for us is it will teach us to pray, which we've already kind of highlighted a little bit. Pastor and author Tim Keller writes this in a really cool book that I would recommend. It's called The Songs of Jesus. It's a one-year devotional throughout the Psalms. And I love the title because these would have been the things that Jesus himself would have been singing. Um, But he says in his introduction to that book, he says, every situation in life is represented in the book of Psalms. 
Psalms anticipate and train you for every possible spiritual, social, and emotional condition. They show you what the dangers are, what you should keep in mind, what your attitude should be, how to talk to God about it, and how to get from God the help that you need. Because the reality is, following Jesus was not intended to be easy. As you follow Jesus, you will encounter pain, suffering, hurt, sorrow, loneliness, betrayal. And also as you follow Jesus, you will encounter joy and gladness and peace and hope. And if we're not careful, we might not know what to do with those emotions and those experiences. And without a model that we have, we're going to be tempted to do something different with our emotions than God would have for us. For some of us, we will be overcome by emotions. And we won't be able to function. We won't be able to see what's true or see through the fog because our emotions have come on top of us. Or for some of us, we would be tempted to be directed by our emotions. That because of how I feel, that's how I'm going to respond. But for some of us, we're tempted to suppress our emotions and think of them as unspiritual and not really know how to deal with them. But in the Psalms, God gives us a tool for how to allow our emotions to bring us to Jesus. To acknowledge that the things that we're feeling, the things that we're experiencing are not wrong and unspiritual, but they need to point us to Jesus and that we wouldn't be directed by them. Keller also says the Psalms are written to be prayed, recited, and sung, to be done, not merely to be read. The Psalms are not just something to relate to or get some comfort from. They are a model for the ways that we can engage our relationship with Jesus. So I'm excited to be able to look throughout this book at the different ways that men and women throughout the generations have approached God. The third thing the Psalms will do for us, and probably the most important, is that they will lead us to Jesus. Every single Psalm should point you to Jesus. It may not be obvious where he shows up. Maybe he's the the hero that will come to solve the problem that they're talking about. Maybe he's the foreshadowed hero that is going to finally come and conquer whatever problem is being lamented about. Or maybe he's even the topic of the psalm without the author even realizing it. One of the cool and genius things about how God put together his word is that we get to look back now that we are post-cross, post-resurrection with the New Testament. We get to see some of the ways that the Psalms pointed to Jesus. There were actually things that the Old Testament writers wrote and they didn't actually know how they would be fulfilled. We don't have time to dive into this mystery, but I want to take us to um, the first letter that the Apostle Peter wrote. Some of the most fascinating verses, um, and uh, I wish we had a whole series to dive into this, um, but let me read this for us. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, he just got done talking about salvation and all the good things are coming, and then he says this. Try to listen to these words, because it's kind of an, a, a complicated paragraph, but he says, concerning this salvation... The prophets, those that wrote the Old Testament is what he's talking about here, the prophets, the psalmists, who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, 
searched intently and with greatest care. God gave them words to speak and they were trying to figure out what was the ultimate fulfillment of all of this. They were trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them, those that wrote the Old Testament, that they were not serving themselves, but you when they spoke the things that have now been told you by those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. So when the Old Testament was being written, those that wrote it, that God revealed things to, they were trying to figure out exactly what was going on. They had a context that it was written, but they knew there was something greater coming. And even the angels were trying to figure out what is all of this that God is doing, and we get the benefit of looking back and seeing that it was all about Jesus. So every single psalm that we are going to be looking at should point us to Jesus. Now, this isn't just going to be an introduction to the Psalms today. We are going to dive into Psalm 1. And Psalm 1 is, man, there is so much richness to it. I I wish we had a couple hours to unpack all of this. I had to delete lots of words from what what I wanted to say. But one of the things that we're going to see is that Psalm 1 is a little bit more than just an introduction to the Psalms. It's really a preface. Psalm 1 is going to notify us to everything else that will come throughout the Psalms. It will give us in just six short verses a general theme of what the rest of the Psalms are going to be talking about. And that theme is that the psalmist wants to teach us the way of blessedness and warn us of the path of destruction. He wants to teach us the way of blessedness and warn us of the path of destruction. Now, if that's true, then we have one more point by way of introduction to talk about before we jump in. And some of you are looking at your watch saying, we're still in the introduction? It's going to be all right. We need to talk about what true blessing really is. Because we live in a culture and in a world that I don't think has a great understanding of what true blessing is. In our world today, we can define blessing in one word or or really more of one hashtag. Hashtag blessed. Now, if you're on Instagram, you're on Facebook, you're on some of the others, you've you've seen this before. Maybe you've posted it yourself, but if you're not familiar, uh, let let me help you understand kind of what this hashtag means. Hashtag blessed is written after something is posted. A picture is there, and it's been described, and it usually encompasses something really good that has happened, something that has happened in a way that um, the person would, would want. They've received something really good. They had a lot of fun. There was something really, really good that we can post about. Let everyone else know, look at how blessed my life is and everybody else can be jealous about it. That's what hashtag blessed means. And 99% of the time, it is going to be something good and happy that has come to the person making that post problem is we have a very different understanding of blessing in the scriptures. 
Now, we don't have time to dive into all of these verses, but I want to read the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount, one of Jesus' famous sermons from Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And as I read this, begin to reframe your understanding of what blessing really looks like. So in verse, Matthew 5, starting in verse 3, we read this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they'll be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Let me read that again. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. A little different than hashtag blessed. And that's not to say that all of the good things that come to us are not blessings. They most certainly are. But what we need to understand going into the Psalms is those blessings that we normally celebrate are not the blessings that the scriptures say we should celebrate. They are not the blessings that the scriptures extol us to thank God for. So as we go through the Psalms, We're going to learn together the way of blessedness, but we always have to keep in mind what we bring to the text when we talk about some of these things. So if you have your Bible, we'll be in Psalm 1. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and read it. If you don't know where the Psalms are, just kind of open to the middle. You'll probably find a Psalm and then go to the left and you'll find Psalm 1. It'll also be on the screen. So Psalm 1, starting in verse 1, says this, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers, not so the wicked. They're like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. The first word in the book of Psalms, blessed. It's an invitation to approach this psalm and the entire book of Psalms to find blessing. Wanting to be blessed, wanting to tell others about how to be blessed is not evil. God has hardwired it into us. And so the first word here in Psalms is blessed. Blessed is also the implied first word of probably every commercial and every advertisement that you have probably ever seen. Blessed is the one who buys this car. Blessed is the one who takes this vacation. Blessed is the one who eats this restaurant. Blessed is the one who uses this perfume. You'll turn into a flower and fly to the moon. I don't really understand perfume, you know, all the perfume commercials. So if you do, you can help me understand that afterwards. 
Blessing is not bad. It is hardwired into us to seek, but God reserves the right to tell us the true path of blessedness. And that is what we're going to see throughout the book of Psalms. So back to verse 1 here in Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. If you're taking notes on your handout, our first point is this. Blessed is the one who does not associate with the wicked. My guess is many of you in this room just had an emotional or a physiological reaction when I said the word wicked. Because we don't like to talk about people being wicked and evil. And you probably think, man, I, I know I'm bad. I know there's some things in me that are bad, but certainly I'm not wicked. So this probably isn't talking about me. So as we go through the book of Psalms, we need to understand the word wicked as much as we understand the word blessed because all throughout the 150 Psalms, the psalmist will use wicked in contrast to the blessed. So what is the Bible talking about when it talks about wicked? Well, two things I wanna draw out. First, the word wicked is not too strong of a word to describe us. We have to come to the reality that the human heart is wicked. My heart is wicked. The only good that exists within me is Jesus. He has cleansed me and purified my heart and given me the power to try to follow the way of blessedness. But that does not mean that I am good. My identity is one who is a child of God because of what he has done. But we have to come to the reality that the scriptures talk about. We will not understand the Psalms. We will not understand the scriptures until we recognize and affirm that the human heart apart from Jesus is wicked. So wicked that the God of the universe had to not just come to this planet, but he had to die for us so that we could even come to him. The prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 17, uh, 9 says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Paul, the guy who wrote much of the New Testament, quoting Psalm 14 in Romans chapter three says this, there is no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. That's pretty definitive. Blessed versus wicked, good versus bad, is not measured in comparison with each other. It's not measured in comparison to some standard that we think is good. It's measured in comparison to a perfect God. So we will not understand the Psalms if we don't come to the conclusion that our hearts apart from Jesus are wicked. But the second thing we need to understand about wicked is when something is called wicked, it doesn't necessarily mean that every single action looks evil and wicked. This does not mean the wicked people are not being talked about as people who throw dogs over bridges and kick, 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 kick kittens. That was difficult to say. 
Right? I think when we hear wicked, we're like, every single thing they do is just evil and bad all of the time. And in comparison to God, yes, that's true. But this doesn't mean that you can look out at somebody and just think, man, every single thing they do is bad all the time. The way the Bible defines wickedness really is just those that forget God. It's those that rebel against God. It's those that try to do things apart from God. Psalm 9, verse 17 says this, the wicked go down to the realm of the dead, all of the nations that forget God. Don't worry about realm of the dead. That's not what we're talking about here. I put that up just to see that second sentence modifies the first, right? So the wicked are described, defined in the second line. They are all the nations that forget God and all the people a part of those nations. So wickedness as defined throughout the Psalms, throughout the scriptures are those that try to do life without God using their own moral compass as the standard and living for their glory and legacy rather than God's. That is all people some of the time. And that is some people all of the time. But we have to understand wicked because it is what is differentiated from the blessed. So as we bring that back to Psalm, or the first verse, it says those that are blessed do not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. And we can spend the whole Sunday trying to determine what actions he's talking about as bad, right? Those that walk in step with the sinners, those that sit with mockers, those that stand with sinners. We could do a whole message on trying to nitpick what all of the bad things are there. I don't want to do that because that would easily lead us to think that the point of the Psalms is to try to figure out what not to do and what to do. And that's not what the Psalms exist for. The Psalms don't exist to try to highlight the bad things that we do and try to get us to become more moral. That is not what the Psalms are for. So I think what he's doing here in this walk, stand, sit, is just giving some broad categories right? The, the wicked don't do the things that the blessed do. The wicked don't do the things that, or they don't say the things that the blessed say. I think all he's saying here is the blessed, they don't look like the world. When we follow the word of God as our source, we are naturally going to look different. And I think that's what he's calling out here. And we all know what that's like. Right? I, like, I like the kind of the delineation of, of walk and then stand and then sit. It's almost like it's getting easier and easier for this person to be comfortable looking like the world. But I think all he's trying to point out is it's, you're going to look different if you follow Jesus. For the wicked, the source is the world. Their goal is the world. Their resources, their inspiration, their power, their direction, it comes from those around them and it bubbles up from within. And the goal is to try to be praised from everybody around us and to feel good on the inside. But for the blessed, their source is the word. Their goal is the Lord. Their inspiration, their power, their resources, their direction, it comes from the word of God. And the goal is to make Jesus famous, not ourselves. 
Psalm 1 and really the whole book of Psalms, they don't exist to make us feel bad about what we're doing. They're, they're to serve as a big flashing warning red light that says, I know it's easy to want to look like everyone else around you. It's going to be easier. It's going to be more comfortable. It might feel fun in the moment. I know it's easy, but watch out because it's the path of destruction. That's what the Psalms exist for. And then he provides the only solution that we have. We have to change our source. We have to change our meditation. We have to change our delight. Verse two, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. So our next point, blessed is the one who delights and meditates on the Lord. Now the Psalms will use words like law, word, precept, rule, command, kind of interchangeably. He's not saying here that we need to meditate on just what we would consider law, rules, commands, those types of things. All he's saying here is that what we need to meditate on and delight in is every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's the only way to find the path of blessedness. And it's not always easy in our busy lives to try to carve out time to be in the word of God. And sometimes it doesn't feel as satisfying and gratifying in the moment as some of the other things that we're drawn to. But what we do see here is the psalmist is crystal clear. The only thing listed in this psalm that differentiates from the world is our delight and our meditation is on the word of God, our source, where we find how we will live our life, how we will identify ourselves. The only thing that differentiates is the light and meditation is on the word of God. And it's great doing that on a Sunday morning and being together and hearing it preached. It's great being in a D group and a community group and talking about it together. If you're not in a group, I would encourage you to do that. Come talk to us at the Next Steps area. But allow me to implore you in the strongest way possible. If we are going to find the path of the blessed, this book has to be a significant part of our life. Reading the Bible doesn't make God love you more. It doesn't make you more holy. It doesn't make you more spiritual. It's not a checklist to make you look better. It's just a recognition that God gave me the path here. Let me pick it up and read it. And I know that's not, that's not a popular idea today. The idea that there would be a source that is external, that there's actually somebody out there that can tell me what is truth, there's actually somebody out there that can tell me what I'm supposed to do, that there's actually somebody out there that gets to determine identity and joy and happiness, reality and truth, that's not popular today. Today it says if you want to find true happiness and true identity, you've got to be true to yourself. You've got to find out what's truly inside of you and don't let anybody else tell you what you can and cannot do. Amber and I were watching a show on Hulu the other day and we don't pay the extra $5 to avoid commercials. So we, uh, there was a commercial that kept coming on for a, for a smartwatch and it was a really, really cool commercial. Like the it was an attractive with all of the colors and everything going on, loud music. It was, it was a really entertaining commercial. 
And at the end, the tagline says, listen to your body, feel your power. And we live in a culture that would be like, yes, that's what you need to do. Don't let anybody else tell you what to do. Don't look for an external source. Listen to your body, feel your power. That's the path to happiness. That's terrible advice. According to the scriptures, according to Psalm 1, that path leads to destruction. That is the path of the world. It will make you feel good in the moment. And everything within the Psalms are a warning, whispering to us, no, there is a path to life. Pick it up and read it. If you are not making it a habit yet to spend time in the word of God, again, it's not gonna be something that makes you more spiritual or holy. It's not gonna be something that makes, it, makes God love you more. It's not gonna give you higher standing in the church. It's just the only way to know the path that God has laid out. So if you're not making that a habit, join us for this, the Chapel Bible reading plan. We're gonna spend the next 17 weeks going through all 150 Psalms. This is a great place to start. Spend a few minutes a day going through that. Pick up one of the, one of the handouts on the way out. Go to our website and find it. But we're gonna be able to learn the path of blessedness together as we go through it. And that's how the book of Psalms starts. Don't look to the world. Don't look to the world for what you should do, where you should find comfort, where you should find joy, where you should find truth, where you should find identity. It's all right here. And then we get a, a really cool visual so that we can visualize what is produced out of the path of blessedness. In verse three, we see this. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season. So four things that I want us to see that blessings produce. And the first is that the blessings of the Lord produce patience. Now, when we think of blessings, normally we don't think of waiting, right? We, we know what we want and we want it now. But what we see here is that the, the tree planted by streams of water is the path of the blessed because their source is built on the word of God. Their source is built on the Lord. And it will bear fruit in the right season. Now we trust that no matter what's going on, God is good and will produce the right fruit in the right season. And for some of you, it would be very difficult right now to think of being blessed. Some of you, like me, probably have a family member in the hospital and don't have much that you feel like you can control. Some of you may have a budget that is much more strapped than it was a couple months ago. Some of you might have a child that is finding it difficult to make their way in this crazy, chaotic world around us. Some of you may have a marriage on the rocks because of all of the stress that is going on 
in this world. And it might feel like the only way for you to be blessed is for God to do something about it now. But the one who is like a tree planted by streams of water has everything that they need. Has everything that they need to wait on the Lord. And the tree knows it because his roots go down into the streams that are always there. And the one who is like the tree knows it because they have put their roots down deep into this book. And know that no matter what happens, God is good and he will produce fruit in season. So I don't know what you're bringing in today. I don't know what causes you to push against, yeah, if God really wanted to bless me, he would do this. My encouragement to you would be to let the Psalms point you to God as your source and to ask him for the strength to wait for the right fruit to come in the right season. He continues, and whose leaf does not wither. The blessings of the Lord not only produce patience, but they produce perseverance. I love this picture, right? You, you picture a, a plant that maybe isn't watered very often, um, and most of you I know probably water your plants really well. You might not have seen this. You can come to my house and um, look at withered leaves because we're not very good at taking care of plants. Um, but the first thing that always begins to wither and brown is the outside of the farthest leaf away from the root system, right? Because the plant is trying to keep the core health alive and keep stores of water just just in case. So the outside of these leaves begin to, uh, begin to wither. And it might be easy to look at that, like I often have, and say, eh, it's, it's not that bad. Just a little bit of withering out here. Like, I'll, I'll wait till the next couple days to water it, and then I'll forget again. And it isn't long until the whole thing is dead. And I think sometimes that's how we treat our pursuit of Jesus. It's like, yeah, something out here is kind of out of whack. It feels a little off. It would be great if I had time to be in community or spend time in the word, but man, things are just too busy right now. It's not that big of a deal. It's just a little leaf, and then it begins to creep in, and then we realize, man, I'm really struggling. But the tree planted by streams of water never has that happen because their roots are constantly being fed. And the one who is like a tree has the same experience, constantly being fed. Not as a, well, if I do the checklist, if I do my quiet time, if I read my Bible, then I'm always going to feel good. It's not how this works. But we get to see the character of God and the path of blessedness and know that no matter what, he is good and he will give us the perseverance that we need. Continuing. Whatever they do prospers. The blessings of the Lord do produce prosperity. But hopefully we've seen by now, it's prosperity through the right lens. It's prosperity through the lens of the tree. It's knowing that even though there's chaos around me at every corner and at every moment, and even though the rest of the world looks like they're happy and comfortable because of what they're going after, I have built my life on the Lord. Prosperity does not mean the good life. Prosperity does not mean that you will avoid pain and suffering. Prosperity is not health and wealth. 
prosperity means my soul is satisfied, come what may. Because I have built my life on the Lord. And finally in verse six, for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. The last point there is blessings of the Lord produce protection. Not protection from danger, not protection from pain and suffering, but protection from the ultimate path that will lead to destruction. He has very clearly laid out for us the only eternally secure path, and it's the path that he has put before us through his word. The psalmist makes clear that the good things coming to those who are walking the path of the blessed because of Jesus, those good things are not coming to the rest of the world that are walking the path to destruction. And we all have our experiences and our emotions and our feelings and our expectations and our observations and the question that the book of Psalms will put before us is, do we believe the words that God has spoken? Or will we rather listen to those emotions and feelings and experiences and expectations? And as we go on this summer-long journey together, that would be the question I would leave before the Lord. God, will I believe the words that you have spoken and align my life with your path? But ultimately, True blessedness, it points us to Jesus. Jesus is the tree that is planted by streams of water. We are the leaf. Jesus is the water that waters the roots of the tree. Jesus is our righteousness doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. Jesus is the one that laid down his life to pay for my wickedness to pay for your wickedness and rose from the dead to empower us to walk the path that he has laid in front of us. Please do not listen to this series and read the book of Psalms looking for the things I need to do and the things I should avoid. Don't look for the formula of being a good Christian. Don't look for the to-dos and the not-to-dos. That's not what this is about. This is supposed to point us to Jesus, the only one that was ever actually good, the only one that was ever actually blessed, and the one that fulfilled everything that the law required of us so that he could bring us into his home. That's what the psalm should point us to. Not a formula, not a checklist, not to-dos and not to-dos. Let the psalms point you to Jesus. Cling to Jesus. Be the tree that is planted on the word of God as your source, not the tree that is looking for life anywhere you can find it. Let me pray for us. Father, we are so grateful for Jesus. We thank you that you have given us your word and empowered us through your death and resurrection to walk it, not because we're good, not because we've tried hard, not because uh, we think we should, but because you have given us your spirit, you have given us your word, and you have empowered us 
So I pray that you would bless this church, your people, every person and family in here, but may it not be so that we can have the good life. Would you bless us that we might be a blessing to this campus, this city, and this world. In Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna sing a song in response. Looking to God. First line I love, God, I look to you. I won't be overwhelmed. Let that be the cry of our hearts. I want to invite you to stand and I want to invite you to sing, maybe louder than you normally would. Forget that there's people that can hear you. Go ahead and stand. We're going to worship together. Let this be your prayer in a world full of chaos and uncertainty and in a world governed by the one who reigns and rules. Thanks for joining us. To find out more about the chapel, visit thechapelbr.com.